0: But thank you for joining me, for finding the time to, to speak to us. It means a lot.
1: Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Thanks for including the film.
0: Well, we had to really. I mean, we some choices are difficult to make, to get to 20. Um, yours was an easy choice. Um, it was one of the best films I saw, to be fair. So
1: thank a, you so
0: much. Yeah, it was an easy pick. Um, I'll come on to that in a minute. Obviously, we're going to talk about, Me too, I suppose, and things like that. Um, But just tell us a little about about yourself, really, to start. I mean, what... Go back to your childhood, and where where did the love of film grow? Did it start there? And what did you want to be?
1: Yeah, I mean, it it probably did start there. I think I had my mother sort of think back to one of the key moments was... um, my mother letting me occasionally skip school to go see a film that was opening in the theater. And, um, I, I took school pretty seriously and so did, so did she. So it was sort of, um, very symbolic, you know, that she valued first of all, my interest and excitement in film. Um, and then also just cinema. So, you know, I watched a lot of movies with my parents growing up, uh, in the, I guess in the '80s, mainly in the late '70s. Um, so yeah, I, I, definitely, my my interest in film goes back pretty far. Uh, I think that I wanted to be an architect probably when I was when I was young, and I would sort of draw plans for buildings and um, that kind of thing. And in some ways, when I'm in an edit on a film, it feels similarly, almost like you're building, constructing a Structure in a way um, yeah. that you need to work and needs to tell a story, and so while in some ways film seems very different from architecture, I do think there's similarities. It's the first time I've ever really thought about that. But so thank you for asking the <laughs> question.
0: Yeah, I think someone like I also think of Michael Mann. Uh, uh, he, I think he wanted to be an architect. You can tell mm-hmm. by he, he's very conscious of his sets and everything. Um, but yeah, that's an interesting link that when you're in the edit. It is, you are, you are obviously building something that's, that's on, the, on that level. Um, so how did you break into film then? When did you decide, this is what I want to do? And how did you get there?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I studied, I was studying history in college, but I was also very interested in film and took a lot of film history classes, hmm. filmmaking classes. Um, sort of my senior year made a documentary, a short documentary about uh, Gen X, which was sort of like this new term at the time. Um, And then I worked um, as a journalist. So I sort of came at it then through a journalistic lens. I had gone to journalism school. I worked at Time Magazine um, Mm -hmm. for a few years covering, you know, uh, I worked in the arts and media department. Um, So you know, which is an experience I really value because they were very, very rigorous about fairness and accuracy. um, And that was very valuable learning. Um, And then uh, left to work on um, my sort of now husband, We, we both sort of left careers and worked together um, in film, which we were both independently interested in, um, you know, before we knew each other. Um, so, uh, you know, the first film that we made together was about restaurants in New York City. Um, and we followed two guides opening a restaurant in Brooklyn, and sort of intercut their experience, their very difficult experience and very hands-on experience of opening a restaurant with the stories of very successful restaurateurs in New York City. So that was, that was how it began.
0: So you say you're interested in the non-fiction side of things, you're interested in like what people do rather than telling original stories, not that one is better than the other obviously.
1: No, I mean, I'm also very interested in narrative film. I've written a couple of scripts um, of, of, you know, feature film scripts uh, and pilots. And I'm I'm very interested in that also. And I try to sort of bring that sort of, not that documentary film, of course, has real story sense, but also that narrative story sense. I try to bring, you know, it's always part of everything, um, including documentary. So, in a way that's what's really exciting about documentary is it is an opportunity to sort of meld, you know, the need for sort of fairness and accuracy and journalistic rigor with, you know, with storytelling um, and, you know, narrative drive and, you know, entertainment value. Um, So that's sort of an exciting challenge. Mm. You
0: mentioned journalism. It's interesting because the beginning of the, the film is very journalistic. It's like an, almost like a news report. It starts that way. The very beginning. So it, that's certainly, I can see where the journalism. Uh, we'll come on to the film anyway, because that's, that's what we want to talk about. Um, hysterical Girl. I mean, I've got some quotes here from the, you know, as you know, we assembled a jury and we, we're going to give prizes out to what we think is the best once, we've, once we can decide, because it's been so tricky. I'm just going to read out some quotes of some of the things they've said about your film. Um, a terrific and unique view of the Dora case, brilliantly assembled with a striking performance from Tommy Vines, um, thundering creative use of text, imagery, pop culture, through time to vindicate Dora, and I'll read one more, um, I, had a, I had a visceral reaction to this, it made me uncomfortable, furious, upset, probably a little hysterical, uh, that was a female saying that, so that's, that's kind of a compliment I suppose. Mm -hmm. but but it was all positive um i'll ask you some of the questions But i mean yeah i'm not i'm not going to keep praising it No, um,
1: (laughs) yeah i I mean that last quote i'll just sort of focus on and it's um it's it's that emotional reaction i think is uh the film is is kind of uncomfortable to watch. It is this sort of in-your-face barrage that, in some ways, inspires um, something that we would refer to as, you know, a sense of hysteria, right? Um, and um, it's, you know, when I was finishing the film, um, you know, I was at the finishing house and really had, was struggling with the sort of final song of the film. And there was a song that was much more, uh, a little bit upbeat and had this sense of like, um, it provided the audience a little bit of sort of release and relief at the end of the film. And then there was a song that was sort of more difficult and didn't provide that. It kind of kept the viewer in things a bit. And um, I ended up going with the more kind of difficult song because... uh, you know, it would be false to sort of suggest like, okay, this, this story is over, you know, it's, um, it's very much kind of an ongoing issue. And I felt like in some ways tempted to give the viewer a bit of release, but also felt like that would be disingenuous. Um, so that feeling of like anger and a bit of hysteria, and there's something a little bit claustrophobic about it, I think, um, is, is, uh, uh, sort of um, what I hoped what, it, what, what I hoped the film would achieve. So I um, am happy to hear that that, that 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 viewer did have that really emotional response.
0: Mm. And I liked that it was, you do a lot with it. I'll come to the visuals, but you do a lot with the tone. It starts like the news and it's the, the actress, which I'll talk about in a minute, says she's nervous. And then you cut straight into it. And there's a moment where she swears. Like, it's quite distinct right in the middle of it. It's almost like, like, not a jump scare, but it's the equivalent of, and it kind of works. Because all you're watching all of this stuff and you're trying to take it all in, and she just swears. And at the end as well, obviously, the punchline, when when she says, I'm hysterical now, and you, I don't know, Um, it's, as as a male, I suppose, watching it, you know, some some of us are a bit more ignorant than others, but it it does make you think, well, i um. I don't know what to say to that. And that's kind of a good thing, you know.
1: Yeah. I mean, in some ways it's um, sort of a coming of age story for Tommy Vines um, Mm. and for Dora, obviously. But, you know, we see Tommy in the beginning of the film. Tommy is the actor playing Dora, having her makeup done, talking about how this is her, you know, first professional film role and how she really feels this pressure to do justice to the part and to kind of bring justice um, to Ida Bauer, which, you know, Dora's real name is Ida Bauer. And I think that, um, you know, Tommy kind of achieves that, I think. And she, um, you know, we see her in the film kind of bring justice to Dora, which is really what she wanted to do. And it's then also a coming of age story for Ida Bauer because she in the film is kind of reclaiming her name. Mm -hmm. Um, And this character, whom we've seen only through the lens of Freud, a man who had his own sort of motives uh, and motivations for taking on this case, Um, you know, we see her reclaim the story as her own. and stop being kind of this taxidermy on the wall for everyone to kind of look at um,
0: yeah. and
1: think that they understand. So, uh, I think that those lines where she, you know, she swears and she's really looking to camera and she's center frame, um, you know, saying, "Am I hysterical now?" Really is, you know, part of that kind of coming of age story and that story of, of Dora becoming Ida.
0: Mm. It's interesting that opening. Was that intended to be... Some people are going to think that she's pretending to be a nervous actress. That this is, Do you know what I mean? They're going to think, oh, so this is about hair, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Was, was, that, was that intended that bit? Because it's almost like bushes of a film. Did you think that's what I want in it? Or did you do it and think, oh, that's got to be part of it now?
1: No, I mean, I think that like one of the... There was a New Yorker review of the film where... Um, the critic Richard Brody describes as a work of metafiction mm. um, in addition to a documentary and I and that kind of um, in the same way that Freud created a text about Dora the film is creating its own it's kind of a counter text and a counter narrative um, mm. you know that these filmmakers are coming together and that this actor Tommy Vines in, in you know 2020 is, you know, taking on this role to create a counter text, and so I think that that um, opening is is sort of like part of part of that.
0: Yeah, it's, good. it's very effective. Um, so, when did you first realize Freud's case could be compared to the sexual misconduct cases of, of today, where we are right now, specifically the Me Too?
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, so I had first read The Dora Case in a college English seminar, um, and I had, it had it had an impact on me, but I read it more as a work of literature and the, sort of the, you know, thinking about the novelistic qualities of his writing, because he's a very good writer, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I had wanted to make a film about Freud for a long time. I just wasn't sure exactly the story that I wanted to tell, and it went through many iterations over the years. But I had reread the Dora case around the time of the Kavanaugh hearings, and it was in watching those hearings that it was almost like these jaw-dropping parallels. Like that, the, the sort of lines of inquiry were so similar. You know, it's kind of this idea of you know Dora being out for revenge, um, and Christine Blasey Ford being you know. or or the Democrats being out for revenge um, for the kind of the way the Clintons were treated, you know, it was like so many of these same questions and these same tropes about women, you know, the, 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 the jilted woman, the hysterical woman. Um, It was, it was sort of just, it was hard to deny. It was, it was kind of stunning actually. And then I went back and I, and I watched the, um, Anita Hill testimony in the Clarence Thomas hearings and, you know, they're asking her about, you know, repression and, um, you know, there were so many parallels there also.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the big talking point as well is behind the scenes, the process of gathering all of that, that media, you know, many of the, the flash before our eyes so quickly, I, I don't know how you edited it. And I noticed uh, Anna Karina from the Godard film um, Little Soldier I, I spotted that with the scissors so the second time I watched it I was playing I, I said to the other people when we watched it I said let's play see if we can spot what the, what the film is what the clip is what the you know uh, how, how did you gather those and how did you decide what order and I mean it's mind blowing yeah.
1: well so I worked with two really f- Amazing editors. Um, Joanne Narenberg and I worked together very early on to kind of um really create an assembly of the film that uh brought together. I knew that I wanted to include clips from all different media, but also so that the the Clarence Thomas hearings and the right. Brett Kavanaugh hearings, that I really wanted to bring together Anita Hill, Christine Blasey Ford, and Ida Bauer, um, you know, as being, you know, three women existing at different periods in history with different circumstances, um, but also, you know, shared experiences in many ways. Um, and there were films that I had in mind. Uh, so for example, Jean Delmayne, um, the Chantal Ackerman yeah. film, Um, when Dora talks about her mother, uh, Ida Bauer's mother was obsessed with cleaning. And we see a clip from the Jean Delmain film where she's scrubbing the bathtub. Um, You know, and that's, every clip in that film is considered. And so that, very much is a film about many things, but what, what I sort of really connected with in the Jane Delmain film is this idea of the, the female character occupying the screen in ways that we had not really seen before at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's the famous meatloaf scene in that film where we see her kneading meatloaf and this idea of like women's work occupying the screen mm-hmm. um, really moved me um, and that I wanted... Ida Bauer, Dora, to occupy the screen in the same way. So that kind of led that, uh, brought that clip into the film. Um, So, and then the second editor that I worked with was Stephen Ross, who is just, he's done a lot of commercial work and is brilliant um, and really was able to, he has really, his editing skills are incredible and was able to really... Build out this idea of kind of using these clips almost as artifacts in a bit of a stream of consciousness Freudian way, um, uh, you know. And then every clip of every man that's in the film um, is is very considered. We didn't just kind of like let's throw this guy in, let's throw that guy in. Um, uh we really looked for cases that reflected the narratives that were also in the dora case sorry if that's a rambling no, answer no, but...
0: no I, I wanted to watch it in not to catch you catch you out but to watch it in slow motion almost say so how relevant is that but obviously they are relevant because even like the goddard film or films that you think people are going to watch it well that's not about hysterical get i you but hang on a minute the, the images it's portraying it's not just like you mentioned the household thing it's the, the I think there's a scene from the Cronenberg it? The Kieran Knightley is in there. You know, it's... Yeah. It, it's like, it's, it's just like, it makes you think about, it makes you think, well, this has been happening for a long, long time. You know, and then you put the, you put the, you mentioned the Kavanaugh, the, those which have just happened brings us right to now and you mix it all in. So... Yeah. Did, did you think well, it was um, going to be 15 minutes? Well, <laughs> and think? there's
1: one thing i just wanted to add is that i didn't sort of also say you know what i want to set out let me look at clips from sort of male directors who have had issues (laughs) so Mm -hmm. for example you know there um there's a you know the clips from last tango in paris um uh there's a uh, clip from um, Blue Jasmine. There's a uh, clip from uh, Rosemary's Baby. Um, there's a clip from Marnie. Those male directors um, all, you know, are male directors who have, um, you know, are part of the reckoning around me too. Um, and I didn't search for clips from their films. Those were the films that kind of emerged as films that really, Help tell the story of how on-screen storytelling has reinforced, um, in some ways, films that are also, I think, questioning um, the messages around, you know, female hysteria, um, but have also reinforced, um, you know, these Freudian tropes that exist in the Dora case. Um, so, you know, that's um, Roman Polanski, Woody Allen. Um, so, yeah. anyway. <laughs> Well, what was your question that you had asked?
0: Um, Just when you did, you know it was going to be less than fifteen minutes, or did you think I'm not going to be able to do it?
1: No, I mean, you know, honestly, it started. I wanted it was going to be a feature, um, Mm -hmm. and it was going to be more focused on Freud. You know, I had had some discussions um, with with various folks about more of a biopic about Freud but in some ways that was the op I realized as I did the research that that was the opposite of what I wanted to do and that I wanted to try to take a story that he had told and flip it on its head and tell it from the point of view of a woman and once I knew you know that I wanted to take clips from different media and from different time periods and try to kind of break down these barriers that we sometimes like view there's like a silo effect of okay there's stuff there's you know the films of the 1900s the film you know films of or stories from 1900 films of 1950 films of the 90s and i was like let's experiment with breaking down all those barriers once i knew i wanted to do something a little bit more experimental a short felt right It, it just it felt like the right amount of time
0: Mm. was it a a large budget then or was it just a case of you know because there's clips and everything I don't know about copyright and everything else but was it a a large budget I know a couple of people said to me this seems like a big budget film but was it or was it just resourceful the the way you did it
1: yeah I mean I guess that the budget really went to um, you know it wasn't wasn't a huge budget but Mm. it um, you know the budget really went to the the sort of um, skilled craftspeople who worked, you know, on the film. So there was the editors Mm -hmm. and um, then there are graphics elements in the film, such as like watercolor animations and, uh, um, you know, the sort of objects that you see in certain places um, with color backgrounds, which are, you know, Freud was a lot of how he would analyze um, his patients looked at what different objects represented. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the use of media, um, you know, it's sort of, it's sort of a, um, there's a pretty strong fair use argument for every single clip in that film. So it wasn't this huge licensing endeavor. Uh, okay. So really, it was about compensating the craftspeople who worked on the film.
0: Um, so one question, it's not, not not from my point of view, but what do you say to people that sit like with these films that are still bringing the females to the front, not just filmmakers, but the stories about everything you've done here, really? What do you say to people that are, are saying, all right, all right, we get it, we get it. Do you know what I mean? Like, what, Yeah. What do you say to that, that kind of criticism?
1: And when you say we get it, do you mean in terms of Me Too or in terms...
0: I suppose, like when some people might say, um, like, okay, yeah, we, we understand the female, the, the, the not being in stories, they're not making films, you're shoving it down our throats. It's really harsh kind of. I've heard, you must have heard that, and I've heard it. What do you respond to that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that there's, I guess, two things, um, specifically in terms of hysterical girl. One is, um, you know, the, the Freud case was written in 1900, and then published in 1905. Reading that case, it's infuriating, it sounds so archaic. And there's part of me reading it that thanks God, thank God we don't live in this Victorian era. Yeah. But then you know what, if, you, if people want to say, okay, we get it. It's like, okay, then look at the media that still exists. Look at the way that, store, you know, court cases about Me Too get covered. Um, look at the way, uh, uh, you know, women who come forward and testify, you know, in a Supreme Court confirmation hearing, look at the questions that they still get asked by, by well, I guess they didn't ask questions themselves. They brought someone in to ask Christine Blasey for questions. But, you know okay, you might say you get it, but this still is playing out today. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I guess the second part would be, you know, I hope that the film can help demonstrate what happens when we change who the storyteller is. Um, You know, and when Freud tells the story of Dora, one thing happens. And when Ida tells her own story or filmmakers in 2020, you know, tell the story, how different it can be. Um, And I think that that is pretty, you know, maybe people get it, but still the the stories are still being told predominantly by white men. Um, And that's starting to change, but we need to keep knowing when the lens shifts, when the storyteller, the narrator shifts, the story changes. and we need to keep making sure that that happens.
0: Absolutely. Thank you again for making the film and talking about it. Appreciate it.
1: No, thank you for taking the time. I loved talking to you, great conversation.